Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will take us to Washington, D.C. as we will discuss the latest as it relates to the debt ceiling and the path forward. Uh, Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Tom, good morning, welcome back, and thank you for spending some time with our listeners and our clients today. Good morning, Dan. Happy to do it. So, Tom, as our listeners, our clients might recall, you did join us here on top of the morning earlier in the year for an update on the debt ceiling. I know a lot has taken place since we last spoke, so looking forward to hearing about where we stand today, though maybe as a good starting point, Tom, for some context as a refresher, can you begin by providing us with a brief overview of the debt ceiling and its importance to America's fiscal policy and maybe some thoughts as to how we got to where we are today with this upcoming deadline? Sure thing, Dan. I'd be happy to do that, and it probably is a worthwhile exercise to start at the beginning, um, and certainly with the definition. The debt ceiling is, put simply, the legal limit on the amount of aggregate debt that the U.S. can incur at any given time. The limit applies to all marketable U.S. debt, as well as the debt that the U.S. US government effectively owes to itself, like the Social Security Trust Fund. The ceiling was originally imposed in 1917, actually, as Congress prepared for entry into the First World War. Uh, That war effort required deficit financing, so Congress delegated some authority to the Treasury Department to incur some debt within some basic parameters. Two decades later, as the U.S. made preparations for the Second World War, Congress granted more explicit authority to the Secretary of the Treasury to manage the national debt within a single aggregate limit. Uh, Congress has since been obliged to raise or otherwise adjust that limit more than 100 times. Um, Congress continues to raise the ceiling because as a nation, and with few exceptions in the 1990s, we can't really manage to balance the federal government's operating budget. When the debt ceiling was reinstated this past summer after Congress mandated a – after Congress had mandated a two-year hiatus, it came back in in the summer – of 2021, uh, Congress decided to temporarily raise the limit by $480 billion just to get us to the end of the calendar year, which is where we find ourselves today. The national debt is now approximately $29 trillion. Uh, we're bumping up against the limit again. Uh, it's important to remember, and th- this has been um, reported but probably should be emphasized, the debt ceiling simply reflects the appropriations already made by Congress that have to be funded partially with debt. Uh, and in and of itself does not represent new spending. And that's an important uh, concept to remember because the debt is actually incurred after appropriations already approved. Tom, thank you very much for that backdrop, and that was very helpful context. So fast-forwarding to where we are today, what factors or components are at the root of the division between Democrats and Republicans as it relates to the debt ceiling? Well, the two political parties often use uh, the debt ceiling um, in debate on the floor of the House and the Senate uh, to blame each other for spending too much without generating offsetting revenue. So the arguments we see today are really nothing new, uh, though I, s- I suppose there is a bit of a slight twist. This year, Democrats have argued that the responsibility to raise the limit rests with both parties and should be done on a bipartisan basis. And in their view, this is necessary because the increased debt that we actually have is 
partially due to the coronavirus epidemic and the federal stimulus programs that were authorized and appropriate under both President Trump and uh, President Biden. Uh, as a consequence, their view is, again, it should be bipartisan. The GOP argues that this time is different because Democrats are trying to expand the size and the scope of the federal government on the order of FDR's New Deal or Lyndon Johnson's Great Society programs, but they're doing so in the view of the Republicans without the large majorities in Congress that Democrats had when those two earlier uh, increases in the size and scope of the federal government were implemented. So in the view of the GOP, there is less of a popular mandate for the programs now under consideration. Uh, and as a consequence, they're saying in this instance, Democrats should be obliged to raise the debt ceiling alone on a party line vote. And then, of course, there is the politics. Uh, a vote to raise the debt ceiling is never very pleasant. Uh, and we can expect that it'll be a uh, uh, an election uh, debate uh, for each of the members of Congress who are going back up for election in the fall of 2022. Republican challengers in midterm elections are likely to remind the electorate of the vote to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, so Democrats naturally would prefer that the two parties share that responsibility. Tom, how concerned are you about the prospects of an agreement not being reached? And curious what the scope scale of the impact would consist of if an agreement is ultimately not arrived at? Yeah, there, there's bad and then there's worse. Uh, Yellen, uh, Secretary Yellen informed Congress that the Treasury Department would run out of cash on December 15th. In reality, that is probably a conservative estimate. Uh, we expect that the government's liquidity could extend for a number of days or even weeks beyond that date. A lot of it is based on the fact that the bipartisan infrastructure bill required the Treasury Department to send $118 billion over to the Highway Trust Fund from the Treasury General Account uh, in order to begin funding the infrastructure improvements. Theoretically, even though there is a 30-day requirement, which Secretary Yellen would have to make that transfer on, on 15th of December, she might uh, hold off doing so if there was a belief that Congress was close to coming to an agreement and therefore by not moving that money, we could extend the liquidity position of the federal government for a number of weeks. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a moving date. It's not quite the hard and fast date we're used to in the past when we call it, when we talk about X dates. So right now, Treasury is employing extraordinary measures. Um, the term extraordinary measures is kind of a term of art. It basically is a, a number of accounting gimmicks to preserve as much cash as possible to pay the nation's debt and its other operating expenses. So those things include withholding federal pension contributions and pulling funds from various trust accounts, all of which need to be repaid later. But it, again, preserves liquidity position until uh, Congress uh, raises the, the debt ceiling so that the Treasury Department can sell additional debt. Uh, to the extent that Congress fails to reach a compromise by um, the date on which the Treasury runs out of liquidity, whether that's December 15th or more likely some days or weeks thereafter, uh, we expect Treasury would then prioritize payments to holders of Treasury notes and bonds over other expenses of the government. But it's important to note that this still, con still constitutes a technical default, uh, and we would see volatility in the government bond market. Uh, Short-term yields would rise. Uh, particularly among the very shortest uh, term yields of a month, two months, three months. And there would be open questions as to the value of pledged collateral on commercial loans, for example. 
uh, rating agencies would be obliged to re-examine the U.S. sovereign debt rating and market volatility would likely follow. Uh, if, if it lasted uh, hours or days and a resolution looked imminent, it would be bad. But if the U.S. were to actually default on its debt, uh, even after prioritizing the debt over other expenses, that would be catastrophic. Uh, prices of most other fixed income instruments would become untethered to the price of U.S. Treasury securities. Uh, the cost of capital for businesses and consumers would rise abruptly as relative risk assessments would have to be reevaluated by lenders. Uh, the dollar uh, would likely depreciate. Its standing as the world's reserve currency would be undermined. And from a national security perspective, that's really not something anybody wants. Uh, and higher tr- treasury yields would uh, definitely follow and would lead to faster increases in the size of the debt. Uh, so, you, again, you've got bad and worse. Uh, and I, I think for that reason, uh, we may see some resolution. Running with that final point a bit, Tom, as we begin to close out, you've outlined a couple of scenarios for us. What is CIO's base case as to the outcome here and when an agreement might be reached? Well, fortunately, we see both scenarios, the bad scenario and the worst scenario, as unlikely. Uh, Senator Schumer and Senator McConnell in the Senate are talking regularly about this issue. Uh, both are aware of the uh, negative consequences that would follow uh, if there was a if we ran too close to the X date, and particularly if we ever found ourselves in a position where we had to prioritize the payment of debt over other expenses. Uh, Senator McConnell was quoted as saying that Congress always finds a way uh, to raise this debt ceiling, and that he expected uh, Congress to do so again. And that was actually somewhat comforting to the market. And it's interesting to note that um, right now uh, the the market is far more concerned about. Uh, the the new variant of the coronavirus than the debt ceiling. And I think that's probably uh, something that is understandable and is likely to persist for another week uh, as until we get a little bit closer to the debt ceiling. And then, of course, I should mention that we also have another deadline approaching even sooner, which is uh, we actually have to uh, have a federal budget or an extension of the continuing resolution. Otherwise, the federal government's operations would have to shut down at the end of the week. Uh, I think that's also going to happen. But again, going back to the basics, we do see these negative scenarios as unlikely. We think Congress is aware of the adverse consequences of not acting. Uh, and there are mechanisms for that to happen. Congress could amend the existing budget resolution uh, for the Build Back Better legislation underway. We could uh, pass another resolution for the 2023 fiscal year, which is the next fiscal year. The GOP could uh, allow a party line vote on the floor. Uh, by Democrats alone and choose not to filibuster the issue. Uh, And they could temporarily roll the debt ceiling forward for a few more months until the fate of the Build Back Better uh, Reconciliation budget bill is decided. So in summary, I think it's it's obviously a very, very important issue. It's one worth monitoring very closely, uh, but we do believe cooler heads will prevail. uh, And at, at the end of the day, we will avoid, again, uh, the debt ceiling uh, deadlines. And then unfortunately, I guess, uh, Dan, we're probably going to have to be coming. We'll come back to this again in two years because we are in sort of a two-year cycle through that ceiling. Tom, it does sound like an encouraging outlook near term, though December will indeed be a crucial month down in Washington, D.C. Of course, we'll keep in touch. We'll look forward to having you back, Tom. But thank you for dropping by top of the morning today to keep our listeners, our clients informed on the latest. Appreciate your insights, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you soon. 
Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Tom. And again, today we've been joined by Tom McLaughlin, Head of Fixed Income Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including a recent blog authored by Tom McLaughlin, which ties right into the conversation we had today. The title is Another Looming Deadline. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Tom's blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.